Hello and welcome to 20 Tim Minutes, a podcast that focuses on mental health in a serious but yet humorous way. Listen as I interview a wide variety of guests where we show our support as well as sharing our own personal struggles and stories with mental health. I am your host, Tim McCarthy, and now it's time to talk about it. Hey, what's going on, everybody? You're tuning into another episode of 20 Tim Minutes. I am your host, Tim McCarthy. Today, we have on podcast host, who is a certified athlete mental health advocate and two-time NCAA champion, as well as a two-time WNBA champion. She also holds the title of the only woman to win the NCAA title and WNBA title in the same year. Alexis Hornbuckle, how are you? I am good, Tim. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. This is going to be a lot of fun. I like to start off this with all my guests. What does mental health mean to you? Man, mental health, it, it, it means peace. It's, it's a stability thing in life. Um, I didn't realize it till before, but it definitely is the placeholder of where, where your peace will be, you know, outside of your spirituality, obviously. But if, you, if your head is right and you're taking the time to take care of your mental fitness, trust me, you will live a much peaceful life. Mental, it, you got to start with your body. It's all connected. So if you have good fitness, oh, yeah. it goes right oh, to yeah. your brain. Oh, what yeah. is your relationship with mental health, though? Oh, man, my relationship is very personal, very close. Uh, myself, I partner and team up with the Revitalist Clinic here in Knoxville, but we are nationwide. Um, I'm a part of our athletic advisory board. Um, I'm just a big advocate on how can we help our athletes know that it's okay not to be okay. And then also, what are the avenues and resources that they have when they don't feel okay? Uh, I know various schools offer such. But as a former elite athlete myself, you don't always feel like you can trust that. Uh, so, you know, I, I advocate for those who don't feel comfortable using their university or their school or even their parents or somebody that's close to them. You know, just being in the room, my team and myself and being able to be a sounding board, you know, being able to regurgitate, give them resources, tools. I mean, I myself struggle with anxiety and depression. So it's, it's huge to me. It's very important. It's very hard to open up to anybody, so that is a great thing. Let's talk about the Revitalist Clinic a little bit. Uh, what, what are they all about? What do they do exactly? Uh, in the Revitalist Clinic, there are several different fields to what we do, but honestly, obviously, the basis is mental health, okay? How we get there, it can be talk therapy. That's normally your traditional therapy is when you think about sitting down talking to a therapist for once a week, twice a week, once a month, whatever suits you. There's also the psychedelic part. You also have ketamine, right? Ketamine treatments, which I myself went through ketamine treatments. Uh, and it was life changing. So the psychedelic, the research, uh, we also do a lot with first responders and veterans in our unit initiative, uh, which is also it says unit. I wish I wore that hat. I didn't I have my revitalist calm stuff on today. Yep. Uh, but the unit is it's you in with a start in the middle and IT. And what we say about that is really like you're trying to find ways to unfuck your brain. So it's unfuck it is what it stands for. <laughs> I like yeah. it. Unfuck. Yeah. Sorry, so, mom. Yeah, that- Sorry, mom. Don't watch this part of the interview. <laughs> now, what are your thoughts? So you've taken ketamine. So isn't is that legal or illegal? No, it is legal. It's legal it in microdosing in a clinical form. Um, obviously, what people think of ketamine is like special K, the, the street yep. drug. Definitely illegal, bro. Definitely. Um, but when you're talking about it from a health and medical standpoint and a therapy treatment standpoint, yes, it is legal. I always thought like... I always found it interesting how marijuana and psychedelics have been treating people with mental illness. What is microdosing to people that might not know what it is? Because at one point it took me a minute to figure out what it was, but can you explain it? 
Uh, I can do the best that I can with it. So basically microdosing is you are taking a set amount of psychedelic and or drug into your system, uh, whether that is edible or it is through a drip uh, IV form. And it comes like they literally know down to the milligrams how much is going in you and how often they give that to you. So that would be microdosing. You're taking a small fraction of a psychedelic at set amount of time with space in between. If it's a drip, then it drips at a certain amount of pace, right? A certain pace. And that will cause you to go into a disassociative state in a sense. Um, and I did my ketamine treatment with a sit-in therapist. So she is actually talking me through and coaching me through, helping me deal with issues that you would normally kind of run from. I don't suggest microdosing on your own at all, yeah. especially if you've never done it. Please get with a certified physician or therapist, uh, but it definitely works. So it's in small amounts, whereas when you're taking drugs on the street or doing whatever, guarantee you're not taking a small amount. And there, and I guarantee you're not worried about how much duration, how much time is in between. Yeah. Uh, so I think that would be the big difference when it comes to microdosing. What does it feel like for you? Oh, man, it was uh, weird at first. Full disclosure, we all have been young at some point. You still look relatively young, uh, but... It, it, I, I experimented with shrooms like one time yep. and I said never again. So I'm not going to lie to you. I was very hesitant uh, when I met with the revitalist team and we got to talk about ketamine and I started doing my own research and I'm like, eh, sounds like a bad trip to me. Don't yep. want to be a part of it. Uh, they explain how like what it does for you and it actually helps to refire those neurons in your brain. It helps to mend them together. It helps to get past traumas. It helps recreate that healing. Um, it also changes how you deal with past issues and even current issues. Uh, and you definitely feel disassociated. You definitely are high. You know, I'm not going to sugarcoat that. Um, but it's what you do with that. You know, are you there to be silly with it and, and almost in an addictive form, just be there to be there to get mm -hmm. that feeling? Or are you there to really submit to the process, which I was and said, OK, I'm completely away from who I am. Right. When I'm not under ketamine. And what can I do with this? When there are no fears, when there's no, there's no running in a sense. And that only happened. I'm not saying I didn't try to run from things that popped up. My therapist sitting in the room kept me from that. Like literally would have to tell me, face that, stop, go back, fight that. What does that deal with it? So it's pretty cool experience, man. Is that like an everyday thing? Of the fight of mental health or what? Oh, well, that, that too. But like take like taking microdosing. Oh no, I would not recommend it on a daily thing. I'm not a therapist nor a physician, so I yeah. don't, I can't really tell you yes or no. I haven't really studied in that field enough. Um, just based off how the ketamine treatments were set up, it, it definitely wasn't an everyday thing. You know, on a heavier end, it could have been like two to three times a week, um, but definitely it wasn't a, a Monday through Friday or even a seven day a week thing. No. And I wanted to back up a little bit. I appreciate you saying I look young enough. Uh, I think I'm older than you. I'm 36. Oh man, you know you would have been. You would have been two Sundays ago. You uh, would have been, but I just turned thirty-seven. So. Oh, you beat me. All right, <laughs> all right. Um, now we, I feel like the main issue with a lot of mental illness is depression. Like you said that you suffer from it. How would you explain depression to somebody? Like say, like you explain it to like a five-year-old. Like how would you break it down for somebody? Yeah, uh, and I'm gonna switch that verbiage for you because the whole thing in mental health is kind of what words we use, right? So I don't suffer from depression. I deal with it though. I do okay. deal with it. It's like a that. part of of a daily uh, daily part of my life. Sometimes, sometimes it's unnoticed, but it is something I deal with. Uh, if I had to explain it to a child, I would uh, probably talk most about. I would start with questions. Kids are they're they're huge learners, right? Um, and they they're sponges. So I would start with questions like. 
you know, do you feel tired all the time? Um, I know you used to love to go outside and play. Now you don't want to go outside and play. Why is that? Uh, you really try to pull out from the child what's going on before you like this kid is depressed, right? You know, what if the kid is just sad? What if their parents were going through a divorce or separation or they lost a loved one close to them for the first time? You know, it can be anything that can kind of trigger that downfall. Um, and then I would go into telling them that, you know, it's OK to sometimes not feel like yourself, you know, that I wouldn't really give them the word depression, because when we give titles and when we put people in boxes, they tend to stick to that, not intentionally, but it's almost a crutch. Like, it's OK that I feel like that because I'm depressed. You know, I, I deal with depression. Um, so really getting the kid to talk more and letting them know that if you feel like this, it's OK. You need to talk to mommy. You need to talk to daddy. You need to talk to, you know, your uncles, your aunts, your your, your aunties, your cousin, whoever coaches. Uh, but it's OK not to feel OK. Yep. Even as adults, we struggle with this. Right. This is something that it's not sad. It's not. No, we struggle with facing fears, facing life, facing adversity, facing trials. And then we go into a darker place. Right. Some people are like I'm just really sad. Some people are like, man, I'm I'm hella depressed. You know, everybody has a different word for it. I would tell that child you are just dealing with a state of mind where you're just not 100 percent right now. And I might, depending on how smart the kid is, might tell them that this is more on, in the mental aspect. Um, but I mean, that's all you can do as a five-year-old. You really can't. Yeah. I don't suggest breaking down words like you suffer with anxiety. You deal with anxiety. You suffer with depression. You deal with depression. I don't, I'm not a fan of that, Tim. I'm just not a fan of that. I hate because- I actually like it. It's very positive <laughs> in a different way. Like, <laughs> You got to deal with that bullshit instead of suffering with it. So I do like that a lot. I'm going to try to put that in my vocabulary. I like it. I like it. Now, a lot of people who depress uh, suffer. No, oh, I almost did it again. I almost did I like it again. It. We're oh, working God. on it today. We're working on it today. Uh, strike one. Uh, have you ever had to deal with suicidal ideations? Because a lot of people with depression have done deal, dealt with that. That is a great question. And I'm glad you asked me that. Um because I've had to think on that. I think September was like suicide month, like the month to really address um, suicides and mental health awareness. Um, I myself haven't thought about like, this is it. Like, I don't want to deal with life anymore. Now I have had thoughts and this has been years ago when I never, I didn't even dive into mental health and what was going on. I was just confused and scared and mad and everything else, angry. And it's just like, what's the point? Like, if I went away, nobody's going to matter. But I wasn't thinking, like, kill myself. I'm thinking, like, I'm really going to the other side of this world and no phone type thing. You know what I'm saying? Yep, like, yep, yep. detach. I was ready to detach. Oftentimes, I was ready to detach, but never detach from life itself. No. What does a mental health day look like for you? Oh, man, don't call my phone, bro, because I'm probably going to have an attitude. You know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> you like that do not disturb mode. Do not disturb. It is on D&D for sure. Um, and even if it's not, and it's just so that I can see what's coming through or what's going on. One of my former teammates actually is calling me right now. So I'm going to put that over there. Uh, <laughs> but um, a mental health day. Yeah, definitely. I'm not trying to answer my phone. Uh, I will gladly reject every invitation that comes my way that day if I even respond. Um, I normally will sit in silence a lot, actually. Like no TV, no music. No phone, no iPad for a little bit, no nothing. Um, then I might get to scrolling on like a TikTok or IG or Facebook. Then I probably at some point I'm going to turn on the, the TV and play 2K on PlayStation. I'm definitely going to do that. 
Um, it really is just a lot of couch time, a lot of bedtime, a lot of praying. Uh, every day is different. Like sometimes I might read a little bit, but oftentimes it's just really just to take everything out from in front of my face and in my brain. Like I don't want too much intake of anything on those days. I just want to be able to be. Um, my girlfriend helps a lot with that. She's great about it. She can literally sometimes I don't even notice it. And she'd be like, you know, over the past couple of days, you didn't do ABC. Like, do you feel like you're depressed? And I'm like, are you my therapist? But I love it at the same time. Right. But it kind of makes you like, what are you talking about? So on those days, she knows like she might ask me need me to bring you food. She might just come sit with me. So those are kind of it. You know what I mean? I might text more into my family. Like if I am on my phone, I'm really reaching out to my family and close friends just to, hey, reaching out to check on you because that actually kind of fills me up to make sure everybody else is okay. But it also depletes me. And that's why I'm like, don't talk to me. <laughs> How grateful are you for your girlfriend? Because it sounds like you realize the other spectrum of it. Someone that deals with somebody that goes through anxiety, goes through depression. How grateful are you that you have a partner that, that can notice that and push you? Oh man, it's night and day. I'm not going to lie to you. I've been through this a, a little bit of both. You know, I had, uh, unfortunately I've had a, a not so supportive ex, right? And I've I've had that time where I was single and I'm by myself, right? And it's me, myself, and I, and obviously friends and family. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm in in a relationship that has that, bro. That is golden. That is golden. And I'm gonna tell you why. Because there are days, and we all do this. I don't care if you deal with any type of anxiety, depression, uh, build up bipolarness. It doesn't matter. We all go through days where you don't recognize that you're not yourself. You're literally just going through the motion. I got to get up. I got to go to work. You got to get up. You got to do your interviews. You got to do your podcast, right? You got things you have to do in life. Life is not going to stop, right? And you just do it. And you just do it. And you don't even realize you're not even doing it to the best of your ability because at that time, it is the best of your ability, right? And somebody there that knows kind of your daily routine and knows your energy and kind of feeds off you in a way and you feed off them and it's just like nah we're not right you're not right what's going on yeah and to sit and have a conversation out of love versus judgment is a game changer because then i'm able to i have two choices at that point i deal with it i say you know what i am not going to relinquish this i'm going to fight through this i am coming at this headstrong right and those days are needed at times my second choice is i just relinquish right I, you got it listen you yep. got it. State of mind, anxiety, depression. I will tell you that, yes, because we mentioned this pre-podcast. Yes, I do pray more on those days. I do definitely go to the Bible on those days because it really does help me out of that. Um, but having her to also talk through that or any other thing that may or may not have triggered that indirectly or directly is a blessing, man, because everybody doesn't have that on an everyday basis. You got to pick up the phone. You got to make an appointment to see a therapist, right? Or try to get a hold of your best friend or close family, yep. right? Shout out to your support system. It sounds like it's really well. It is. She's amazing. <laughs> now, I like to talk about this because I, I feel like we should be more open about this with different races is talking about racism with somebody like me being white, you being black. I think that needs to be an easier conversation. It's awkward for some people. It's awkward for the white people. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I think yeah, it, it, is. Is. Um, it is. Not for me. I like these types of conversation because it helps break the stigma of mental health. So according to the American Psychiatric Association, mental health facts for african-americans only one in three black adults with mental illness receive treatment why do you think it's hard for the black community to, to seek help mentally um well i could i could think i can tell you my thoughts and i can also tell you yeah. experiences 
my thoughts is because we are meant to, we are forced to be a strong race, right? Our culture is built on strength. It had to be. So you, you don't have time to be weak. You don't have time to be weak-minded. You don't have the time to be weak-spirited, weak in faith. You just don't have time for weakness, right? You have to figure it out. You, you got to get through it. Your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, they pushed that. They instilled that into us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is great. It's, it's, it's awesome to be a strong individual, but it's also better to be realistic. We all have to go through this walk of life, and we all know it ain't easy. Mm-hmm. Right. So my personal experience is, you know, you're not feeling well, you're, you're down, you have you have anger issues because I had anger issues because I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know how to express myself. I didn't know how to talk through feeling. I didn't even know what what I was feeling. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and it's go sit down somewhere. Uh, you know, let, we're going to pray about it. We definitely going to altar call. You know what I mean? Definitely need to get in the Bible. You need to get closer to Christ. And I I agree with all of that. But there are also clinical things that need to happen. And in the in the black home and the black church and the black community, it's it's God and church first, second, third and fourth before we even consider that there's something wrong. Got you. How does racism affect mental health? Oh, man, it's daunting, bro. Like, think about it. As a black female, I grew up in West. I'm born and raised in West Virginia. It's one of the most racist states. If you didn't know that, you now know. I now know. um great people there you know don't get it wrong i have a lot of white people in my family a lot of white friends like i am definitely that person like but at the same time entitlement privilege that's real those things are real right Mm -hmm. and when you have to as kids we don't know that we're taught that right we're born in love we're taught hate so when you have to when you start to inner life and you and you come across these moments and there's racism i've had white friends that had therapists when we was kids and i'm over there like why are you seeing a therapist like what you need to go talk to somebody for like you crazy because that's the stigma in the black community whereas in the white community it's let's get these kids help yeah right i'm not doing it it's not it's not i'm not getting through to them as a parent or a guardian let's get them some certified help right and then you start to talk about not only do I have to try to figure out what's going on with me mentally, I have to deal with open racism. I have to deal with with remarks. I have to deal with the unfairness of this person is going to get more than I'm going to get. You know, and it happens in classrooms. It happens in youth sports. It happens at daycares. It's in the schools. Right. It's in the pre-K. It's in it's in the fundamental building blocks of our youth. And it. It's hard, bro. Like, you don't know who to talk to. You, you want to tell your parents. You want to tell your family. But they're not going to understand. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because what, whatever they grew up in, whatever their traditions are, whatever their beliefs are, you better believe that. You better, you better grow up in that. And that better be you. Because if not, it's going to be button heads often, right? And as a kid, you don't even have the capacity to, to fight that fight, nor the know-how to do it the right way, right, without being a disrespectful child. Um. <laughs> And then, <laughs> and it's funny because we're talking about race, right? And so, like, I would go to my white friend's house, and one of which I told you you had a therapist at a young yep. age, and I would hear how they would talk to their parents, right? And that was the kid lashing out in anger or whatever, and blah, 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 blah. and the parents would come back, but it wasn't as detrimental as if a black kid did that to their parents in their home. Like, you're not going to have no life, right? Yeah. You're going to get your head knocked off your shoulders, right? 
And that right there says, stop. It's not okay to not be okay. You, you can't talk to me because did you pray? Did you take time for yourself? Okay, what was the outcome? We're kids, man. I don't know if God's talking to me yet or not. Yeah. There are there are certain kids that have that gift, but most don't. So now it's like, well, I'm trying to talk to you. Then I'm fighting my brother. We fighting. We both went through some crazy, you know, not nothing bad, but I'm just right. saying like just figuring out life. Yeah, just simply civil quarrels, figuring out life, fighting. He had a little bout with mental health and we both felt the same. We couldn't express ourselves. So I would commend the white community for doing that at an early age, but I would also get on the white community for piggybacking and planting seeds that it's not okay for black children to do the same thing and take their mental health serious because that means they're crazy and they're not all right. And I think that plays an instrumental part of how we perceive mental health growing up. Like once you become free-minded, free will, and kind of free of parents, it still carries on with you that this isn't okay. What do you, you know think, what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And that kind of goes into my next question. What do you think race different races can do to help each other? Say like the white community with the black community, like what can we do to help when it comes to racism? Man, if we can get rid of colorism, colorism, we can get rid of racism. That's yep. number one, mm-hmm. right? There's, there's no white, white, black, da, 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 yeah, there, come on, man. You're not even white. You know that I'm looking at your wall. It's white. You're not white. So you know what I mean? Like yeah. the colorism will help, but the conversation has to occur. Like I'm human. I got to come to you out of love, out of respect, out of understanding. I have to listen, not to respond. I have to listen to learn. I have to listen to understand. And then within the conversation, you can't be afraid to speak your opinion or speak where you're coming from and why. Because sometimes and I speak on myself before I kind of got mellowed out. Yeah. I will definitely overtake that conversation if you get defensive instantly, instantly because I feel like you don't deserve to be defensive right now, right? Um, so if we can both races, all races, mm-hmm. all colors, all people come together out of love and have that conversation like, look, I know you're struggling with some stuff. I also struggle with this. You're not crazy. My son had to go through this. My daughter had to go through this. Being able to also offer help because a lot of times it comes down to financial abilities. In the Black community, overall, and, and things are changing, there's definitely been a shift, but overall, financially, you're in that middle to lower tier as far as maybe not poor, but broke on a regular or paycheck to paycheck. And so maybe don't have insurance. Right. So paying an extra 25, 50, 125, 150 a week, that's a lot, you know, even though it's for the health of your kids. Um, So if you have those friends, you know, white people, if y'all have friends that don't have the means and you have the means and you are close enough. Now, don't just go up and ask random black folks and you're close enough (laughs) and built some type of trust and relationship. Hey, listen, little Johnny has been talking more to my son or daughter or the team or whatever. And I'm really starting to notice there are some things I don't know. I'm not trying to overstep. You know, I know a great therapist. I would love, you know, if you're okay with this, I would love to get y'all set up with that. You know what I mean? Because yeah. let's oh, be yeah. honest, let's be honest. White people do it for white people. I know this cause I'm around a lot of them. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I, and I will say that black will do it for each other, but it's not as often. It's almost like 
yo, I made it out. You got to make it out too. Like, yeah. dang, that's messed up, man. Yeah. You know, uh, so I would, I would definitely say come to the conversation with love. Listen to understand, not to respond, and don't be defensive. I know what you're saying with uh, don't see color, and this is what I usually say, and this is a great pickup line is, hey, we're all the same color when the lights go out. You know what I mean? Hey, <laughs> hey, we all do look the same, man. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Just, just a little figure. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> now, someone that played a big part in your life was Pat Summit. Uh, first off, do you, uh, how was it like playing for her, and do you have any interesting stories you can share, like maybe one that not many people know about? Mm, I've been doing so this for so long. I don't know if not many people know about the stories, but I can definitely share. Um, and how was it playing for yeah. the legendary coach Pat Head Summit? A dream come true. And when I say that, that's not fabrication. Um, I'm definitely not being dramatic. In sixth grade, I watched a documentary on an HBO special. Yeah. A Cinderella season. Pat Summit and a Lady Walls. And they were not supposed to win. They already lost a god of god amount, god awfully amount of games already at that point. And the way she ran them, bro, she had four trash cans in each corner. She ran the mess out of them because they missed like curfew or didn't do something right. Yeah. And she made them throw up in all four trash cans. Like did not stop running until they all four trash cans had vomit in it. And I looked at my dad and I'm like, I want to go there. That way it's crazy. I need to go play for her. Right. So in sixth grade, I started to bleed orange. Like that became my dream school. So when I literally sit here and I tell you today that that is a dream come true, I mean it. And not many people get to live out their dreams. So I tried to take it all in. But as a kid, I realized now, well, about a decade ago, I realized I ain't take shit in. Uh, <laughs> How many times you throw up in practice? Actually, never. So I was the kid that could run for days. I played soccer okay. and basketball. Yeah, I played soccer since I was four, basketball since I was four. So running, eh, it was nothing. Um, but when I came back post being a player, like maybe five years after it, and yeah. I did an outdoor hill workout, yeah, I threw up. But anyway, so Coach um, Legendary learned a lot from her, uh, learned how to be intense, be intentional, pay attention to details, and execute. That's not just sports. Yeah. That's life. And that's what she was teaching us. That's what she has always taught every single player that has come across her. And I would venture to say every person, she has dropped a nugget that gave them a better quality of life if they took it, right? Um, also, on top of her being a mother. So she was very, very intense, very intense. The lady, she wowed, okay? Yeah. Like, there are days you come into practice and there's you can't breathe right. You're going to hear your name. You ain't tie your shoe correct. Like, it's one of them where literally your name is on the top of the practice sheet. It might be one name, might be two, maybe three max, but normally it's one or two. She's on your butt the entire two hours. Hornbuckle, go faster. Hornbuckle, pick it up. What kind of pass is that? And it, and it really tests your mental yeah. strength. And she would always say, don't be a mental midget. Meaning when times get hard, when you're tired, when fatigue sets in, don't shrink up. And that probably was the biggest lesson that I took out of everything because it applied to everything, right? As a, a point guard and a guard for Coach Summit, it's one of the toughest jobs to hold. And trust me, you're going to want to shrink. <laughs> she, seemed like some, she seemed like somebody that you couldn't crack a joke during practice, like a quick joke. That's not true. Okay. But don't, but don't, but you can't be a clown. 
Yes. You, you get what I'm saying? She had a great, no, Coach had a great sense of humor. She was funny. Like, low-key, she was silly as all get out. That's it awesome. Just, you don't see that because of the pictures and the media. It's mainly, you know, the blue, the icy blue stare, you know, the intensity, the great speeches. But, yeah, she was also a jokester. That's awesome. Now, did she help you? I uh, read this. Did she help you find a counselor or push you to find a counselor? Yeah. So in college, this was my junior or senior year. Um, it was how it came about that it just wasn't going to work out for me. Okay. Uh, she just was like, you need to go talk to somebody. Like, I don't know what's going on with you. Basically, you are wild and out of control. We got to get to why you're wild and out of control. And I'm like, this is just me, coach. You know, I'm a kid. Like, don't mess with me. I want to be who I want to be type. And then there was an incident where my teammate and I had gotten into a car accident of a non-moving vehicle. We were moving. They were non-moving. I wasn't driving. Okay. I'm in the passenger seat because she said, if you're going to drink, don't drive. Mm -hmm. I'm following the rules for once in my life. Okay. It's back. I mean, we're trying to handle it without having coach called. But two of my teammates who never go out, never are out past like 9 p.m., Happened to be out this night. Hmm. Drove by, see the accident, see us. We're going frantic. They call coach. You know, it's, it's always those people. And it's, <laughs> it's back to her, whatever. Next day, next morning, we have practice and recruits. She's going in on me. Like, going, I'm not even going to say, like, she had a lot of choice words to use with me yeah. that day. Yeah, so if y'all ain't think coach was dropping cuss words, she dropped bombs to me. I can't speak for everybody else. And literally, I'm just uh, going back and forth, not even seeing that, number one, she's trying to let me know that she sees me as a leader and is demanding leadership, no matter if I was the driver or not, right? At that age, I did not understand that. In that moment, obviously, I did not understand that. And all I could do was fire back at her and be defensive. And whatever, for whatever reason, out of that, she was like, you're going to go talk to our team therapist. I said, no, I'm not. And you don't tell Pat no because you're gonna do what Pat's told you you're gonna do. Period. Right. So that didn't end well for me. Obviously, I'm in the therapist's office. Uh, <laughs> and I sat there, and the lady asked me, "What do you want to talk about?" You know what I told her? Nothing. I'm in here because I have to be. I will sit here for the whole hour, silent, if I have to, or answer every question with one or two words. I told her that. All Pat was trying to do was say, "Hornbuckle." I see your value. I love you. I know you need help. I can't help you. You need to talk to somebody. But see, that, that conversation didn't occur like that, so I fought it at every corner. So that was non-beneficial, pretty much. I opened up a little bit in a couple more sessions, but it was really all atopic. Like, it was just right there. There was no depth to the conversation. I really didn't receive any help, um, and that was that. But I definitely shout out, Coach. Um, I appreciated that, that she could see that, you know, and she was trying to offer that help. But old school, old school is old school at times. They just, the delivery wasn't always there, you know? Yeah. (laughs) How much did she mean to you? Oh, how much does, does she still mean to me? Um, Huge part of my life of uh, what I believe as far as how to go through life, how to handle life. Huge part of what I teach and coach and train and give back to kids in the sport, uh, but also to my other athletes and non-athletes as a certified personal trainer. I mean, I deal with people up to age 70, like, and I'm still giving Pat's definite dozen to these 70-year-old, 60-year-old women. You drop in this bucket right now. (laughs) 
Yes, ruthless, man, but in a loving, kind way where they kind of receive it and they accept the challenge. And being in Knoxville makes it a lot easier because it's not just the players and the coaches and the staff members that work with Pat. Um, you know, it's it's the whole nation. It's the whole state of Tennessee. It's definitely the whole city of Knoxville. So it helps. This has been a really good interview, and I appreciate you coming on. I like to ask my questions at the end. It was great talking mental health. I'm glad you're doing great mentally. I'm glad Thank that – and you, even though that you're dealing with it, I'm glad that you can maintain it. And it's doing, I love I'm, it. I'm happy for you. So tell everybody about the podcast and anything else you would like to talk about to promote. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate it. The interview definitely has been fun. I appreciate it. It's not often you get to talk about mental health in a, in a fun, non-stressful way. So I appreciate what you're doing here. Definitely. It means a lot. Um, y'all can check out our podcast myself. Fun fact, it's my former roommate, college soccer player, former pro player, Jamel Johnson. We have the Collective Unfiltered, where we talk about a little bit of everything, but mainly finance, athlete, athletes, sports, business, and equality. So, and when we touch on equality, it's a little bit of everything. It can be sports related. It can be business related. Uh, and then we have fun. We have weeks where we don't hit any of our four pillars and we just have a blast. Good. So, Tim, we might have to get, we might have to snatch you up on that, man. I might in. have to snatch you and get you in. Call me, call me off the bench, coach. I'm in. Hey, I love it. He's ready. Let's go put him in. I love it. Now, this is a question you probably dealt with or, or answered before. So why do you think the media advertisement won't invest more money in women's sports when research shows the more it's invested, the more people watch, like the World Cup or the Olympics? Like, why don't you think women's sports get more advertisement or more media attention? Oh, <laughs> uh, honestly, because our our world is is led by men, basically, right? Pretty much, even if you're looking at that one percent, two percent, the elitist uh, might be one or two female. It's really men that's leading that, uh, and so we are living in a world dominated by men and women's sports, women activities are deemed or seen as not as exciting. Right. We're not dunking. We're not doing all of that. But, you know, what's funny is so many women can dunk. It's wild. We don't get paid enough to sacrifice our body to do that on a regular, knowing we have to go overseas to make our money. Typically, now that has changed a little bit with the NIL deal. So you can start to build your brand and your name and your identity and, and your finances and investing things. Financial literacy is now being taught a lot sooner. But I think it comes down to the fact that we're a threat. If you put the money and the advertisement into the women's sport, like you said, research has shown it will be watched because it is as exciting. Actually, we think more. So you're going to you're going to have to see a little more of the actual game in and of itself. So if you don't know the game, yeah, I guess it's not as exciting because you're just looking for those highlight plays. I would beg to differ that most people watching sports know about the sport that they're watching. Mm -hmm. So it just comes down to put your big boy britches on, suck it up. We won't take it all. Just give us what we're owed and mm -hmm. we can all clap and be happy. Let's get let's get the pay scale. Let's even out that. Right. Let, let's get that media. Let's get the, the television cameras. Let's get the news. Let's get the articles written. Yeah. Right. Let's get the hashtags like I get sick and tired of going on like an ESPN or something and seeing an article and it's like men dominated and like two women's sports and then men dominated and then like a women's. Sport. Come on. Mm -hmm. You know, it, everything that is done intentionally. Right. We, we we're old enough. We know this. Right. Yep. We're smart enough. We know this. So it's all intentional. Um, so I think it just comes down to that. 
Pretty I'd great. rock. I'd rock a hornbuckle jersey. I don't know if I hey. want. I'd probably get a Lady Vols though. Yeah, you want the Lady Vols one? Either way, 14, 22, Get the buck on the back. You good, man? You're good. <laughs> You're good. Fourteen's a good number because uh, someone stole my number. It was three, so I had to do four minus one. But even though it's backwards, fourteen, I had to wear fourteen for a little bit. So hey, whatever our reasons, we're connected now. That's all yep, I know. Exactly. Now I got some. I got some basketball questions because I always wondered this: What is it like to be traded? How much of a pain in the ass is that? Honestly, I, it, it depends on how you're traded. Okay, so like if I don't know I'm about to be traded, and then my agent calls me or the team calls me in for a meeting, and all of a sudden now I know. I'm yeah. about to be traded. Now I got to go pack my stuff and do all this. And then, I mean, after you pack up and everything, it's easy. They're flying you. and But then you got to land in that city and unpack. And also, is this uh, what, when did this trade occur? Is this a trade that you're still fighting for a position on the roster? So do I even really fully unpack? Mm-hmm. Right? You get what I'm saying? So that yeah. you have that scenario. Um, you have the trade that you requested and you're kind of prepared for. So, hey, babe, we already been packing those bags. We ready yeah. to go. Okay. Um, and that's not, that's not really hard at all. You're actually excited and ready to go into whatever your new, new, uh, team is your new situation. That's not too hard. It's the ones that smack you and you don't know it's coming or you're talking to your agent and you know, there's a trade coming, but then there's a curveball at the end. Now it became like a three team trade and you really didn't get the best end of the deal. And now you ended up in a city or on a team. You really didn't want to, or plan on going, uh, so it, honestly, there's so many different scenarios, but if you're asking for a trade and you get the trade that you requested, I mean, you're just, you're living in bliss because now you're stepping into the next chapter of your life that you think is best for you. Speaking of cities, what's your favorite city to visit? doesn't have to be an NBA team, a WNBA oh, team town, but. In the country, I'm guessing, right? Yep. Okay. Um, favorite city to visit? Oh, man. I love, I love love phoenix scottsdale area like i love that area yeah the I desert love, you like yeah. driving in the desert where it takes a half hour to get to everywhere it does not take <laughs> listen i live there it does not take when i played two seasons i lived there two summers but it does not take that long um i loved it my my uh arthritis loved it my asthma loved it so i think that's why i love visiting that city like it gets dry heat and you gotta adjust a little bit definitely stay hydrated yep but it's beautiful it's warm it does i didn't know that the desert gets so cold in the winter when i was playing uh and i had to do something in february i forget in phoenix and i I came off man i packed shorts t-shirts light jacket maybe a hoodie I had to go buy pants, a jacket. Like, it was ridiculous. But other than that, love Phoenix, Scottsdale. Who's on your Mount Rushmore WNBA players and you can't pick yourself? Oh, that's so unfair. Uh, Cynthia Cooper, for sure. For sure, for sure. Uh, Candace Parker, a thousand percent. Uh, who else I got? Don Staley. I used to have that woman on my wall. I used to, man, I love me some Don Staley. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Shout out to BG, Brittany Griner, for holding it down and, and changing the game. Yes, Lisa Leslie came in and dunked. Yes, CP obviously has dunked. Uh, but it's not even about her dunking. It's it's her statue, her height, her movement, how she plays, and then obviously what she's going through right now and, and taking, taking a hit and a lick, honestly, for everybody, you know. None of us really know everything that's going on or how it's going on. But at the end of the day, we can all say, get BG home, get Griner home. Being away from your family that long, 
uh, if we talk about mental health, we know that that has to be a hardship there for her. Yep. It's definitely a hurdle. Prayers up. But if we're talking about just an outstanding player that can dominate the game whenever she wanted to, yeah, she's definitely on there. Yeah, it's definitely sure. un- unfortunate what happened to her. But yeah, she needs a she needs to come home. That that's we gotta Period. get on that. Yeah. Period. That's Period. some bull that's some bullshit for some weed. Yeah, listen, and, and and a pen at that, right? A pen at that. And honestly, it's wild because that's how I see it, right? I've definitely see it like that. I, th- I see it as yeah. a political pun in, in this game as well. Uh, which is this just sucks. You literally have no rights, no say so at this point. Um and we don't know all the ins and outs of what's happening or what has happened prior, you know, in Russia um, and why it's being handled as such. Because, you know, it's yeah, she's a staple in the game of women's basketball. and She literally hits every category. So that's what I'm thinking. Like, you know, this is where I get into my mind goes crazy. Uh, like, OK, she's a female. She's an athlete. She's black. She's LGBTQ plus. What what better person to hold? Yeah, to piss off everybody. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yep. what better type of person to hold than someone who can hit multi categories? And it sucks. Like, I wish there was somebody I could go fight for her. I wish yeah. I can go snatch her out myself. You know, it's just, it's ridiculous of, of the duration, how long it's going on. And um, you know, prayers go out to her wife and so Like, it's. I know it's tough. You know, I know it's tough. So prayers up for for her and her family. Hundred percent. Now this one might be a little bit hard for you. I want to end with Uh-oh. this one. If Uh-oh. you had to pick one, which was more satisfying, NCAA championship or WNBA championship? Can I just qualify the year of two thousand eight? Oh yeah, that's fine. That's good. I like that answer. <laughs> okay, I would I would say two thousand eight. I mean, I had both. It's kind of hard when you get two things thrown at you at the same time of equal value. In the WNBA finals, were you like, holy shit, this is this might happen? Yes. Let me tell you when I got hyped about it. I'm gonna be honest with y'all. Don't judge me. Um, I didn't think anything of it because as a competitor, all I know is one game at a time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Seriously, that's how I was looking at it. Like it's it's happening so fast, I'm really only thinking one game at a time. It wasn't until I believe it was ESPN or some other news outlet started pubbing, and this was at the start of the playoffs. Um, LA was playing San Antonio for the conference finals and they were expecting LA to win. So that means Candace had the potential to be the first woman, first player to ever do what I did. Yeah. Right. And now I was get like this. I get to compete against my sister, you know, possibly it didn't yeah. turn out that way. They lost on a buzzer beater to San Antonio. We ended up sweeping San Antonio. So it did not register to me. Literally. Until probably the parade the next day. Oh, no shit. Like, I celebrated. I'm hyped. I've seen video. I was excited. I obviously knew we just won a championship. I got so lit. I slept through pretty much the after party. You know what I mean? Like, I'm tired from playing. It's been a lot. My I haven't slowed down at all. And done. Wake up, and I'm like, we just won a freaking national. What in the? We just, I just won a WBA championship, bro. Yeah. I just want to. So I just wanted Tennessee. I just wanted Detroit under the bad boys. Like Bill and my teammates were just like boss. Like Cheryl Ford, Carl Malone's daughter, Katie Smith, Hall of Famer, Deanna Nolan, one of the best players and guards to ever play the game. What's happening? Tyson Williams, Franklin, like these people are now either coaching, living their own life, 
in high offices in the WNBA or somewhere up in the NCAA, like I literally play with legends. Yeah. And so it did not hit me until a little bit later. And when it did, I was just like, oh, I did that. Wait, you're a legend yourself. So don't don't cut yourself short on Thank that you. list. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Let's end with this. You got to think of like, what would your personal theme song be like? Alexis Hornbuckle's getting introduced. Uh, is it Knock If You're Buck? <laughs> <laughs> what would it be? I, I, lo- I love that. Uh, now or then? Let's say now. Let's go with now. Now, definitely not Knock If You Buck. Then, probably for sure. Okay. I was really about, I was all about that life. I'm trying to fight any and everybody, whether we were on court or off court. Like, and plus, I'm, back then, I went to college from in 2004, it would be 2008, was the, the yep. whole like dirty South, like crunk music was like, yeah, run through a brick wall type. Get on my level. Yeah, that was. <laughs> yeah, I know all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. Little John 3 6. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, that was yeah. my. I went to school in North Carolina, so I got to I got to go into that. You got that. to raise up in that thing. North yep. Carolina. Yep. Yeah, okay, I got you. I got you. Pink Pablo. Yeah. So then. That would have for sure a thousand percent been it. Now you're not even gonna believe it. Honestly, my theme song and I play it whenever I need it is Corinne Hawthorne, "Unstoppable." She's a gospel artist, and it just talks about basically how people don't take her serious. Uh, like, oh, you need to up your swag. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not pretty enough. Basically, what society is saying versus who she is and what she does, and you can't stop it. Like it's it's pretty dope. I mean, I got a few on the list. Gorilla Faith is also my other one because that joint I'll be in the gym on that one. Yeah, 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 I'm about to run through walls on that one. Oh, <laughs> nothing, nothing hits you better than some music that gets you just like ready to go. Oh man, I love it. I love every bit. Of, and what's the wild part is, it's literally all of my what I listen to the most. If it's not like instrumentals or some type of focus or high frequency beats or instrumentals, it is gospel and gospel rap, hip hop stuff like that. Right. All right. Let's end with this. What are three things you're grateful for today? Three things I'm grateful for today. Um, being mentally healthy. Number one my family, as far as everything that they have given me, they stuck through it, they've been here, and my parents actually are living in Knoxville now. Uh, And the third thing would definitely be, mm, it's hard, how do I sum it up in a word? Uh, I'm grateful for relations, healthy relationships. Healthy relationships, I'm not talking about just my partner, my significant other, I'm talking about my business partners. I'm talking about uh, you know, YW community leaders that I have built relationships with, like those healthy relationships have literally changed the course of my life. Yeah. That's fantastic. Now, where can everyone find you on the internets? Listen, y'all want to come see me. Y'all want to talk to me. You want to find me, whatever. Okay. IG Instagram for older folk. Instagram is IG buck fourteen twenty two. Okay. If you're going to holler at me on Twitter, I don't really tweet a lot, but I do check them. Uh, that's Hornbuckle14. You'll find a common theme with the numbers. Also on Facebook, you can either look just my name up, Alexis Hornbuckle, not too many of us out there. Or if you're going to go through and do the whole formality, uh, it would be Hornbuckle1422. Okay, so Buck1422 on IG, Twitter's Hornbuckle14, and Facebook is Hornbuckle1422. And you can find that all in the show notes of this episode. Alexis Hornbuckle, thank you so much for coming on. This was a lot of fun. Man, this was great. I did not tell you a Pat story. Oh, yeah. Time with that. Okay. I know you'll be able to cut this chop just the way you need. So here we go. Pat Summit story being, this is my favorite one. I think I tell all the time. 
So we were in a game in South Carolina. Okay. I'm playing terrible. The team as a whole was playing bad, but I'm only speaking on myself. I played absolutely terrible. And I don't know. It was a foul. So they're shooting free throws. I'm in half court. I'm the point guard. I got to come see what coach needs at that time. Lori Moore was on the bench. I'm the backup point guard. I actually don't let me boast too much because I was the backup. Uh, I'm in the game. And see, Hornbuckle. And, I, you know, hands on the knees, try not to look. You know, yeah, so right. if I don't look, it's not real. Yeah, yeah, one of those. Hornbuckle. Turn around. I'm walking closer to her now. Got to give her that respect, right? You look like you never touched the basketball a day in your life. I looked back at her and I said, well, you recruited me. <laughs> Needless to say, I ended up on the bench. I really ain't played the rest of that game. But that was a fun Pat Summit moment where, listen, Pat don't play that. She can say what she want to say to you. You bet not have nothing to say back. Like, Pat is an underlying black mother. I know it. I know it. Because I, I I saw, like, I felt I felt my mother yell at me at that moment. And then the discipline of get, get her like gone to the end of the bench and then in your face afterwards. And then I got to come apologize. You came at me coach. You yeah, know what yeah. But no lesson learned. It was a fun story. I laugh about it now. It was not funny in the moment, but hilarious to me. Those are the best type of stories. Like, you know, it's going to be funny later, but you're like, man, this sucks right now. Yeah. It was terrible in the moment. Alexis. Thank you so much again. Absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate your time. That's been another episode of 2010 minutes. Let's break the stigma by cracking a smile. I will see you soon. podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. If you are feeling suicidal, please dial 911.